When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the world of the unusual, the bizarre, and occasionally the macabre. You're listening to Beyond Reality Radio. Good evening, everyone. J.V. Johnson has the night off. Bruce Markison filling in for a second straight night on the program. And we're very glad to be with you on this late night Wednesday. J.V. will return tomorrow. Tonight, we are going to talk about a topic that uh, many people have very strong feelings about both sides of the equation. And that is the subject of vaccines. Joining us tonight is Dell Bigtree, investigative journalist and the CEO of an organization that is called Informed Consent Action Network. He is going to be discussing his work around vaccines and this whole issue of pharmaceutical tyranny. Uh, he has a website, www.icandecide.org. Uh, he also has a very popular talk show called The High Wire with Dell Bigtree. So we're going to be talking about the subject of vaccines, pharmaceuticals. Uh, should be a very interesting two hours coming up tonight on Beyond Reality Radio. But before we get to that, let's uh, set the table, if you will. Many different ways that you can follow the program. Uh, make sure to check out our website if you have not already done so. It is beyondrealityradio.com. Once again, that's beyondrealityradio.com. Uh, there we have an archive of all the past shows, so if there are particular topics that you uh, really have an interest in, you can search them through the archive and listen to some of the past shows, some great stuff there. And I'm not just talking about the shows that I've done, which are relatively few and far between, but of course the many shows that uh, JV and Jason have done over the last few years. So check out the archive at beyondrealityradio.com. We also have a chat room uh, if you go to YouTube, J.V. Johnson, uh, there is a chat room, and that's a great way to participate in the show uh, while you're listening live. So go to the chat room. Again, it's J.V. Johnson on YouTube. You can follow us in all different forms of social media. Uh, go to Facebook, at Beyond Reality Radio. Again, that's Facebook, at Beyond Reality Radio. You can also follow us on Snapchat and Instagram. Uh, and by the way, we will be taking calls during the second hour of our program. So we'll have calls with our guest, Dell Bigtree, about the subject of vaccines. We have two different numbers. You can call 607-282-4497. Again, that's 607-282-4497. Or you can call 844-687-7669. Again, that's 844-687-7669. So hopefully you've jotted down those numbers and uh, have them for reference next hour. If you miss the numbers, don't worry. I will go over them 
uh, at least one more time during the course of the first hour. And we will then take calls for you uh, during hour number two of our program tonight. Also, if you'd like to uh, follow me, I have a Facebook page that I started roughly six months ago. It is called Bruce Markison's Ghostly Gallery. Uh, If you go uh, to Facebook and just punch in at Ghostly Gallery, uh, my page will be the first one that comes up. Uh, We certainly encourage you to visit there. And if you like what you see, uh, we ask you to like the page. We do all sorts of stuff there. We get into the worlds of horror, sci-fi, supernatural, uh, paranormal events. I uh, talk about this show, promote upcoming appearances, uh, all sorts of stuff. We do classic horror, uh, new horror and sci-fi. We try to cover a wide range of topics uh, also talk about the ghost tours that I do here in the upstate New York area. So uh, check us out, Facebook, at Ghostly Gallery. And if you go there, please like the page as we uh, try to build uh, that community. Uh, also, let's uh, remind you about some of the upcoming shows. Uh, JV's back tomorrow night. Uh, his guest will be uh, T.C. Randall, independent health researcher and author of Forbidden Healing, Uh, He'll be presenting his approach to health and disease at the electron level. Interesting. We'll see what that exactly means, the electron level. That's coming up on the Thursday night show. Uh, Then next week, uh, Monday night, Linda Godfrey will be JV's guest. Uh, Linda's the author of a new book, I Know What I Saw. It's a great title. Uh, She investigates encounters with monsters from ancient mythology, folklore, and some uh, contemporary urban legends as well. So that'll be coming up, the subject of monsters and mythology on the Monday Night Show with Linda Godfrey. We're still working on Tuesday night's guests, so that will have to file into the category of to be announced, at least for the moment. And then uh, a week from tonight, next Wednesday, we'll have two guests, Tom Carey and Don Schmidt. Uh, They're authors of a book called UFO Secrets Inside Wright-Patterson, And they'll be presenting eyewitness accounts from the real Area 51. And that's, uh, of course, an area that's been in uh, the mainstream news in recent days and weeks. So that's what's coming up over the course of the next week. On tonight's program, though, the subject will be vaccines. And we will get into this pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine. I'm sure people have a lot of strong feelings, both sides. Our guest, investigative journalist and the CEO of Informed Consent Action Network, Dell Bigtree. He'll be discussing his work around the subject of vaccines and pharmaceutical tyranny. So that's coming up. We'll take our first break, and we're back to get things rolling tonight on Beyond Reality Radio. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark. Because you deserve to save too. Become a Shark and save. Bruce Markison filling in uh, during the two-hour program. And tonight we will be talking about the always controversial subject of vaccines. Our guest is Dell Bigtree. He is one of the preeminent voices of the vaccine risk awareness movement. 
Uh, he was once an Emmy-winning producer of a CBS talk show called The Doctors, but his career really took a, an interesting turn when he produced the documentary, Vaxxed, and that is credited with igniting a revolution against pharmaceutical tyranny around the world. Uh, now Dell has an internet talk show. It's called The High Wire, and it's been, the, uh, it's been called the fastest-growing program in the natural health arena uh, with over... 40 million views. Joining us tonight on Beyond Reality Radio is Dell Bigtree. Dell, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Bruce. It's a pleasure. Yes, uh, same here. Let's begin by talking about your organization. Uh, what exactly is the Informed Consent Action Network? Well, the Informed Consent Action Network is a nonprofit. We say that our mission statement is. Uh, dedicated to eradicating man-made disease. And, you know, we're focused on investigating, which is, you know, as a producer on a medical talk show, I spent many, many years investigating medical stories. So I've just taken that into a nonprofit, and we've been investigating things like, you know, Monsanto's glyphosate um, that's in Roundup, so herbicides, pesticides, all these chemicals and toxins we find in our environment that, you know, that I think are causing this. And if we could get them out of our food, our water, and our air, uh, I believe would be healthier. So that's a lot of the focus of what we do. But, of course, at the heart of our work and probably the most controversial and we get the most uh, attention for is vaccines. And um, that's something that was, you know, as, as you've pointed out, I made a documentary uh, about vaccines called Vaxxed. Uh, and that really changed my life. I was working at the my job as a producer of the daytime talk show, The Doctors, and I discovered that there was a whistleblower inside of the CDC that had come forward and said, we're committing scientific fraud on the MMR autism study. That was the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine in autism. And uh, I made a movie about that. And that when you do something like that in mainstream media, um, there's a real perspective on vaccines. And so my career was shifted into discussing more things like that and um, out of sort of mainstream media that holds this belief that vaccines are perfect, that there's no debate, and that we should all just take as many as we can get and move on with our lives. But uh, I have a different perspective. We are going to get into that in depth tonight. Dell, how many people belong to your network, roughly? Uh, the network, I mean, uh, you know, when we call it a network, I think that it's just that we network with a lot of different nonprofits. There's nonprofits um, in almost every state now. Uh, it started with uh, a movement around the documentary I made, uh, Vaxxed, where uh, people would start Facebook pages that would say, bring Vaxxed to Mississippi, bring Vaxxed to Chattanooga, bring Vaxxed. And it was all trying to raise attention so that they could get a theater to bring our film in there. Because it was such a controversial documentary, uh, there's been bomb threats in theaters around the world. Um, we were often kicked out of theaters that the film was accepted into. And, and if people were paying attention or know about it, we got kicked out of the Tribeca Film Festival. So that's really sort of how this network idea started, was that the film uh, really... I think unearthed a movement that was always there, 
But you have to understand, Baxter's about vaccine injury and specifically autism. So one of the, I think, amazing experiences of a documentary like that that I did not expect was, you know, when we first started screening at Angelica Film Center in uh, New York City after we'd been kicked out of Tribeca, um, you know, the houses, we were packing a little 150-seat theater, uh, and the first three or four shows on the very first day, it was about the third show, I just, you know, we were doing Q&As afterwards, and I said, I want to ask you a question. Will everybody with a vaccine-injured child stand up? And three-quarters of the audience stood up. And that became sort of uh, something I did at every screening I went to across the country for over a year. And two things happened there. Number one, I had no idea that the issue was that big. When three-quarters of the room stood up, I felt like I got punched in the chest. I mean, we had interviewed, you know, uh, a dozen families maybe that were making this claim that they watched the child regress into autism after a vaccine. But to watch like a 100 people stand up in a room, it was like the oxygen was sucked out of the room. And even more incredible was these people had thought they were all alone up until that very moment. And when they saw each other stand up, that started a movement, and they started sharing numbers and realizing, wow, we live in the same town. You understand these parents are imprisoned in their homes with children that many times can't go out in public. They won't act appropriately. They might charge a police officer not understanding the social you know, cues and how you appropriately act. And now this movie brought them all out to find each other. So that really is how the network started. And now... So I always say people call them anti-vaxxers, but the truth is that they're ex-vaxxers. They're people who absolutely believed in the vaccine program until it destroyed their child's life or, in some cases, their own lives. Um, And uh, and so that's sort of what the network is. It's a network of real people. It's a grassroots network, and we're just one of the cogs in that wheel. When did the documentary debut? I want to say, if my memory is correct, I believe it opened at the Angelica Theater on April 1st. Um, but the beginning of April in 2016 uh, was when it came out. Okay. Now, you mentioned that you were kicked out of the Tribeca Film Festival. Let's explain that. Were you initially invited and then they tried to yeah. rescind it? Yeah, so we were uh, accepted and invited into the Tribeca Film Festival. Um, and I actually, when we were, had been accepted, I was reaching out and trying to get a hold of the head of PR at Tribeca. And I was saying, look, are you aware how controversial this documentary is going to be? I mean, perhaps, you know, when you announce it, you really should be ready. You're going to come under attack. And they're like, who is this again? So I'm Del Bigtree. I'm the producer of the documentary. And they just laughed at me. They thought I was like trying to pull a PR stunt. In fact, at one point, I got someone on the phone. I said, why don't you not announce our film and just say a mystery screening so controversial you won't know what it's about to go in the theater? And, of course, they thought I was just, you know, trying to make something out of nothing. Well, the way Tribeca works, they sort of announced blocks of films over the course of a couple of weeks. And when it came our turn, we were probably the 30th listed film in the new block that they were presenting in the newspapers. And as I had said, it didn't take but a few minutes before the, you know, Mm -hmm. all hell broke loose on Tribeca. 
CNN, news agencies, papers, people claiming how could they screen this documentary? How dare they, you know, question vaccines? And it became absolute mayhem almost immediately. And, um, you know, I was worried. We always knew the film was going to I mean, I knew I, I'd been telling them, be careful how you announce this. And they had said to me, Dell, we make controversial documentaries. That's all we, that's mostly what Tribeca does. We're known for that. I said, I don't think you've ever had a film like this. I don't think you're ready for this. And I was right. And in the end, um, you know, we were concerned we're going to get kicked out because there was so much pressure from politicians and doctors and scientific bodies, none of whom had seen the film, by the way. I was reading reading reviews of my own film in Hollywood Reporter, and I knew they had not even seen it yet. I mean, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And so then Robert De Niro, who's one of the founders of the Tribeca Film Festival, came forward and defended our film and said, despite all of the pressure, we're going to air this film uh, because many people don't know it. I have an autistic child, and I believe that this is a uh, film that people need to see. At that point, we thought, okay, great, we're Robert De Niro just supported the film. I mean, only one of the biggest actors in the world mm-hmm. and, you know, the head of Tribeca. And then within, I think, 72 hours, I got a call from our distributor that said um, they're pulling the film, uh, even though Robert De Niro stood up for it. Uh, and I said, why? They said, we've been arguing with them for an hour saying, this is free speech. You're censoring a film. Why does Tribeca want to be labeled that way? Yeah. Uh, and I guess at the end of arguing for about an hour, the, the film festival heads, De Niro was not on the phone, is my understanding, but uh, they said, well, the Sloan Foundation has been one of our primary donors since the beginning of Tribeca, yeah. and that was the last thing they said. So a, a pharmaceutical donor right. uh, didn't want us in the festival. Adele, before the break, we were talking about your film, uh, the problems you had with Tribeca. Despite that, you were able to find some other outlets for this documentary. For people that have not seen it but would like to view it, what's the best way for them to do that now? Yeah, it's interesting because um, Representative Adam Schiff went out of his way to have films like uh, Vaxxed pulled from Amazon. He reached out to Amazon and said you shouldn't be selling films that question vaccines, which I think is a very, very scary in this country when you have politicians calling for the destruction, you know, basically that's book burning. Yeah. So uh, that, that, you know, and so that's what's happened with Vax, but you can still uh, view it. Um, you can go to the uh, website, uh, uh and uh, you can purchase it there. I believe you can still stream it for a few bucks on Vimeo. Um, and those are the main places we send people. It used to be you can find it just about everywhere, but the censorship that's going on in this topic is, um, you know, is affecting that. So it's currently not available through Amazon. That's my understanding. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't like look at it every day, but I know that it was pulled from Amazon Prime, and I, I believe, I mean, the streaming is you may be able to buy a copy and have it mailed to you, but the ability to stream the the film, which was free on Amazon Prime, has been removed. Interesting. All right. Yeah. The the crux of it, this is what people want to know. Are vaccines safe? Are they not safe? Or is it more complicated than that? Well, I think what I can say is that we don't know. Uh, we can't say that they're safe. 
that's what I think. If I've proven anything with our investigation, we there's been multiple opportunities. Uh, one that was created when Donald Trump set up a meeting at the National Institute of Health. Bobby Kennedy was there. I was there, and several other um, doctors and lawyers. We put together our complaints about the vaccine issues that we saw. And one of the number one issues is this, that they say that vaccines are safe and effective. That's the statement we hear all the time, and that the science is settled, uh, which is really the least scientific statement you could ever make. Uh, no one in credible science would ever say any science is settled. It's always should be advancing, and we should always be asking questions of science. But this particular science, we hear this statement that the science is settled. Well, when I look at that statement, safe and effective, I only looked at one part of it. For three years, I've investigated the word safe. How have we determined that they're safe? There are scientific methods uh, that determine safety, especially in pharmaceutical products. And the number one safety um, measure is that any drug that is going to be put on the market has to go through what's called a double-blind placebo study. Uh, I think most people get this idea. One group gets the trial drug. The other group gets a sugar pill that's painted to look just like the drug. Uh, neither the scientists doing the study nor the patients in the study know who got what. And we track and follow them for often five, six years is sort of your average for a drug coming on the market. If it's an injectable product, then they inject the placebo group with uh, saline uh, so it has to be, you know, a placebo being something that doesn't affect the human body in any way. And then after the end of five or six years, we, you know, ask certain questions of the, the patients who had more cancer, who had more diabetes or autoimmune diseases, things like that. And once the answers all come in, we unmask it and we find out, well, do the people who had the drug have higher or lower rates of these incidences or these side effects or not. And if, if it's, you know, somewhat comparable um, in the amount of injuries or, you know, dangers in the placebo group, then it gets approved. It said it's safe. It, it, it's established its safety against the control group. Well, we went to the National Institute of Health and said we can't find a double-blind placebo study for any of the childhood vaccines that are currently on the schedule. That's 16 vaccines given in 72 doses. And it was interesting. It was Tony Fauci, head of infectious disease there, and Francis Collins, who's the head of the National Institute of Health, along with, I don't know, seven or eight other luminaries of our infectious disease departments, health departments in this country. And there's silence for a second. And then somebody said, oh, well, we do the trial. We do the placebo studies. They're just in earlier phase trials than the phase three that technically its music is printed. And we said, oh, great. Well, we're at the National Institute of Health. That's all we want to see. Just bring us those placebo studies so we can look at them. And they looked at each other, and we said, well, the records would certainly be here. I mean, that's why we're here is to, you know, as consumer advocates, we just want to report back to consumers that the safety study has been done. And then I believe it was Fran uh, uh, Francis, no, it was Tony Fauci said, we don't do placebo studies for vaccines. He just blurted it out. And we looked at him and he said, because it would be unethical to do those types of studies with vaccines. And then everybody kind of chimed in and, and said, oh, that's right. It's unethical. As though they were all coming to this decision right before us. Uh, and now that is the official statement. Because of the work we've done, and I've been 
Uh, we sent, uh, after that meeting, we sent about a 37-page document laying out all of the questions we wanted answered by the CDC and Health and Human Services. And again, we asked them, and they've never been able to provide a single double-blind study for any of the childhood vaccines. So what that means is, and, and what they mean by saying unethical, is essentially vaccines are really, as I looked at it, it's really more like a religion than it is a science. They have this belief in vaccines and the ability to eradicate infectious disease. They don't do safety studies, but they assume that they're safe, even though they contain mercury and aluminum and formaldehyde and polysorbate 80 and aborted fetal DNA, DNA from dead babies, DNA from cocker spaniels. All of this toxic soup has never been tested against the placebo group, but they believe it's safe. And, and so... With that belief, they think that to have a placebo group in a trial would be unethical. To have a group of girls, for instance, in the Gardasil HPV trials that didn't receive this brand-new vaccine that they knew was going to be great because they had faith in it, that would be uh, immoral to do that to them. Instead, it's more ethical or moral to give an untested vaccine to millions of children in America and around the world and see what happens. And that's what this program has done. And so when people say, you know, if they're in the know, they'll say, well, it's unethical to do those studies, as though that somehow makes it okay. Mm -hmm. But what that means is we've never had a safety study on any of these vaccines. Our children are involved in one of the largest human experiments in history. And then, so then the scientific body will say, well, we don't have to do uh, safety studies anymore because we've been using vaccines for over 100 years and they're safe. And I, then me as a journalist, then I say, oh, so what you're saying is the proof of safety is all I have to do is look at the outcomes in the society you're injecting with vaccines. That's what they point to. And so I, I say, okay, let's look at that. I believe we're looking at the greatest decline in public health in human history. Here are the actual stats. We have more babies dying on the first day of life in the United States of America than every other industrialized nation combined. You can look it up. CBS reported it. We have more babies dying in the first year of life in the United States of America than the 20 other richest nations in the world. It was just reported about a half a year ago that they believe you're 70% more likely to die before reaching the age of 18 in the U.S. compared to the 20 other richest nations in the world. Additionally, when we were only giving 10 vaccines in the 1980s, the chronic illness rate in American children was 12.8%, mm -hmm. chronic illness encapsulating autoimmune disease or neurological disorders. Now that we give 72 vaccines, that rate has gone from 12.8% to now 54% of America's children have a chronic illness. I'm not making these numbers up. As a journalist, I don't say anything I can't prove with published, peer-reviewed science. Most of this you'll find in many of your major newspapers that will tell you you should vaccinate. So if we've gone from 12.8% chronic illness to 54% chronic illness in the same time we increased our vaccine program, then I have a big question. And people will say to me, well, then they'll say, well, you can't say that the rise in chronic illness is being caused by vaccines. 
I said, well, we know it's being caused by toxicity, that autoimmune disease and all these neurological disorders is inflammation in the body. We know that vaccines cause inflammation. But besides any of those things, you just told me to look at the public record as your proof that vaccines are making us healthier. And all I see is the sickest nation of children in the industrialized world and the sickest generation of children we've seen in most of our lifetimes. Um, so how is it that yeah, we're being forced to use a product that is being mandated by a medical establishment that is overseeing one of the greatest declines in public health in recorded history? I want to repeat that. The greatest decline in public health in recorded history. We have never seen a species on this planet, planet you know, devolve. Autoimmune disease, meaning our bodies suddenly are attacking our own cells. Our bodies are no longer able to live on the planet we've been living on for millennia. All of a sudden now, kids are sick, breathing our air, touching our earth. That is the first time in history we've seen that great a decline. And I think more and more studies that, if you really look into it around the world, are showing vaccines are one of the major causes of this autoimmune disease crisis. Dell, let me pick up on something you said a few minutes ago. You said you met with President Trump. What was his reaction to you face to face? I didn't. I didn't meet with President Trump. What I said was uh, President Trump set up a meeting for us at the National Institute of Health. Bobby Kennedy met with President Trump, and that's how that meeting took place. Um, I don't know where at that moment in time people remember that Bobby had visited the Trump Towers. He came out in front of CNN after a meeting with Donald Trump and said, I've been asked to head a vaccine safety commission. Uh, Once again, all hell broke loose. How could people do this? How could Bobby Kennedy be put in charge of investigating vaccines? And within a couple hours, the administration backed away from having claimed they were going to have that commission. But what did come out of it was this meeting at the National Institute of Health. So I don't know where Donald Trump is at. I think we all watched him make very strong statements while he was running for president, saying that he'd seen a child in his own office, was healthy, got vaccinated with what I think he described was like a horse shot, uh, size uh, fit for a horse, and then regressed into autism. And so he stated over and over again, he believed that vaccines, there's too many of them, and that they do cause autism. But we haven't heard that statement now for quite some time. Do you think it simply comes down to, we don't want to get rid of vaccines entirely, but we need to go back to what we were doing in the 1980s, fewer vaccines. Is that the answer? I think that 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 would be a perfectly good start, be a good way to look at it. I'm not trying to eradicate vaccines from the planet, which is what people will will claim I'm doing. What I'm trying to, what I'm saying is we immediately should start safety studies. We should immediately start investigating this product because it's not being investigated. There should be nothing injected into our children that is so uh, sacred that we're not allowed to question it. And that's what's happening in this country, that you're crazy if you question vaccines. Uh, You're dangerous if you question vaccines. And what's dangerous is not questioning this. I mean, if you stop someone on the street and say, do you trust pharma? Most people say, oh, hell no. I mean, you know, pharmaceutical, just, they just care about money. I mean, look at the Oxycontin epidemic. Look at Johnson & Johnson and baby powder and all these things we're finding out we're lying to about. 
And then you ask them, well, what do you think about vaccines? They think, oh, I think vaccines are great. Do you think there should be mandates? Do you think people should be able to opt out? No, I think everybody should have to get vaccinated. Well, I don't understand the disconnect. Why is it that people don't understand that vaccines are a pharmaceutical product? In fact, they were once considered drugs. We just recategorized them. And when we did that, we took away the need to have to test them for safety. Um, so I think immediately, here's what I think could happen immediately that would really help us in this conversation because everyone's watching it. It's, you know, vaxxed really sort of sparked this discussion. It's been three years now. And I would say that other than Russian collusion, probably the second biggest story in this country now is, is anti-vaxxers, measles outbreaks. This thing has, is a cacophony now going on and brothers fighting sisters and families dividing over this discussion of vaccines. And there'd be a really easy way to get to some answers, one of which we posed at that meeting at the National Institute of Health, if you can't do a prospective study during the, the safety trials of vaccines because it would be unethical, you don't want to have somebody not get this vaccine, then certainly we could do a retrospective uh, epidemiology study using the great databases in this country, one of which is at the CDC mm-hmm. called the VSD. It has 10 million people in it and tens of thousands of unvaccinated individuals we said, why don't you just do a comparative study, take all the vaccinated people, compare them to the unvaccinated, the fully unvaccinated people, and ask the usual questions we do in every other safety study. Who has more childhood leukemia? Who has more diabetes? Who has more asthma? Who has more, you know, Crohn's disease? Um, all of these things that are on the rise, autism, you name it, schizophrenia, and see if the vaccinated individuals are actually healthier. And we said, in fact, the Institute of Medicine, which is one of the great scientific bodies, our Nobel laureates all reside there. They looked into this BSD, the Vaccine Safety Data Link at the CDC, and said, you should do this comparative study. In fact, our government paid the CDC to do this study. And when we asked for them to do it and said, why haven't you done it? They said, we refuse. We're not going to do that study. So... That's where we start. Let's start and see, are vaccinated people actually healthier? Is this autoimmune disease and neurological crisis that's going on, are special needs classes exploding in every school in this country, bankrupting our school system, taking money away from our honor students so that special needs students can get more and more teachers and more and more classrooms and more and more buses? Something is tragically, tragically wrong And a study like that would at least tell us if we're on the right track or not in looking at vaccines. That's where I would start, not at eradicating vaccines. Let's just do some simple studies and see if the theory is correct. And, Dale, a couple of times I use this term, pharmaceutical tyranny, probably something that we should stop and and define. uh, Exactly what do we mean when we use that terminology? Well, I think one of the things that people need to recognize is what's really going on here. And, um, you know, the pharmaceutical lobby is the most powerful lobby in Washington. They're outspending oil and gas right now, two to one. And when we think about that, I want you to think about what oil and gas is getting. We fight wars in the Middle East over oil and gas. What does pharma get? by spending twice as much money buying politicians 
uh, and and moving inside of Washington, supplying the, the lobbyists there. And when you investigate this, now they've investigated it, we think this is all, all this vaccine issue is really just about children needing to be vaccinated, that we really care about this remaining 2 or 3% in some areas that are unvaccinated or kindergartners. But what people don't recognize is that the pharmaceutical industry is is working with our government right now for mandated vaccines for everybody. And there's a policy called Healthy People 2020, which was uh, on the Health and Human Services website, and it wanted 100% vaccine compliance by all adults by the year 2020. That's, that's really what's going on here, I believe, is that we're taking the exemptions away in these laws in New York and California and different states as they succumb to this powerful lobby uh, under the guise of making us safer. But what they really want is, is full control of our bodies and our society. How I believe this is going to work is that the real ID is in many states is being uh, picked up. Real ID has your medical records in it. It's like your driver's license or your passport. But we're going, and we know this. This is all fact. They're getting rid of passports and driver's licenses, and they're replacing it with the real ID. Uh, there's an experiment. I believe it's an experiment. But what we know has happened is in Argentina is the first country that this year made it so that when you're renewing your driver's license as an adult, you can't get that driver's license until you are fully vaccinated. Um, That is where this is all going. There's a vaccine program for all adults. Uh, They're going to line us up on a yearly basis. I think they're going to attach the real ID, similarly how they did in Argentina. You won't get yours or you won't be able to renew it. You won't be able to get on a plane. You won't be able to go anywhere unless you are vaccinated. And some people may say, hey, I'm fine with that. I mean, vaccines are safe, whatever they think. But I want to point this out. Let's take the word vaccines out of it for a second. And just imagine if I came to you five or ten years ago and said, there's a country where when you live in that country, the government injects you with products that you have no control over, you don't know what's in them, and in order to live in that country, you have no choice. How many people would line up and say, oh, I want to move there? That's what America is turning into. And the vaccine program is the future of the pharmaceutical industry. We used to think of vaccines as like they don't make any money. You know, it's just this altruistic side of the pharmaceutical industry. But it's actually some of the biggest money makers now. Pfizer's number one product. Pfizer's the biggest pharmaceutical company in the world. Their number one product is a vaccine mm-hmm. uh, for pneumonia. So they are making billions of dollars. And once they flip that switch and create a vaccine mandate for adults in this country, now imagine you went from, you know, trying to vaccinate 2% of the unvaccinated kids. Now you have 340 million Americans that cannot opt out of the system because we've taken all the exemptions away and now you're going to get lined up. Where that that industry goes from a billion to say, I think it's about a sixty billion dollar a year industry right now. It will turn into a trillion dollar industry overnight in America alone. And this is happening all over the world. Uh, Italy is trying to take the rights away from people. France is 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 making stricter and stricter vaccine laws. Australia is arresting doctors that even question vaccines. 
uh, on my show tomorrow up in Canada, a chiropractor was just fined a hundred thousand dollars because she posted things like my show, The High Wire, on her Facebook page. That is tyranny, and that is being driven by the pharmaceutical industry and the government officials that they are purchasing. All right, let me counter that by saying that, in, in my own case, there's really only one vaccine that I would seem to get annually or maybe feel pressured to get annually. That's the flu vaccine, and yet I've never really been told that I had to have it. So that's right. my counter-argument. Yeah, because we don't have the mandate in place. But children are getting vaccines. And by the way, all you have to do is go to the CDC's website right now and and punch up adult, uh, rec- uh, adult vaccine schedule. And you will find that there's not one flu shot on there for you, my friend. There's about 16 vaccines they are going to be given to adults many of them two, three, four doses of each. And there's 270 approved vaccines that we haven't even seen hit the market yet but are approved and thousands of vaccines in trials. So when you recognize that there's a government policy for a mandated adult vaccine program Mm -hmm. and thousands of vaccines are in trials, This is the future of this industry. And if you do not stand up for your rights right now, while you still have power, while they're still only trying to get you to get a flu shot, if we wait to the moment we can't get on a plane to say, well, hold on a second, I've done just fine without 16 vaccines up until this point. Why do I need them now? It will be too late. Yeah. Dell, in your own situation, how often do you find yourself getting vaccinated? I don't vaccinate. At all? Uh, At all. My children are not vaccinated. I have a 10-year-old son and a 5-year-old daughter. Um, They, you know, as long as I can help it, they will never have a vaccine injected into their body. But you had said earlier that you felt that a reasonable approach would simply be fewer vaccines rather than totally getting rid of them. Yeah, I think a reasonable approach for people that believe in the concept of vaccines and want to vaccinate, that that should be available. This is a free country. You should be allowed to vaccinate, just like I should be allowed to not vaccinate. Uh, My research of vaccines um, has led me to my own conclusions for my own family. I don't push those conclusions on people. All I say is, you should really be concerned and looking into this yourself and know that I am out there trying to make vaccines safer for those that are using them. But I believe, number one, that this is a product that no pharmaceutical product should ever be forced into you. If they're forced into us, Bruce, then we no longer have sovereignty over our body. We don't have autonomy. If the government can forcibly inject my body with products I have no control over, that means I am simply a product of the government. I am owned. I am owned by my government. They can do to my body whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Who thinks that's a good idea? All right, let's. When let's, in history has that ever made sense? Right. Oh, I understand. Uh, let's define another term that I mentioned before the top of the hour. Uh, something called herd immunity. Let let me see if I got this right. I may not have it right. But my understanding is that's a theory that if most people are immunized, then generally 
that's going to be okay for society. We don't have to have everybody immunized. We just need to have most people to take care of it. Um, am I correct in that assessment? That's the first part. That, and the second part is, is do you agree theory. with it? Um, that is the theory. Uh, and uh, I don't believe we've ever even had herd immunity. I think this is one of the great, uh, I don't know, hoaxes, whatever you want to call it, and, and I'll explain myself. Okay. Herd immunity, first of all, is a term that came from natural immunity, really coming in contact with measles. Measles was very infectious. Uh, still is. I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, lots of people get the measles. In fact, before there was a vaccine, roughly... Um, uh, was it three or four million people would get measles and roughly 400 people would die every year. You'll hear this idea that, you know, one in a thousand die from the measles. If you actually, I, I find it comical when I read these articles that they'll say exactly the numbers I just gave you, five million people get it, 500 die. That's one in 10,000, not one in a thousand. So the, the math gets off. But here's the thing. When measles would sweep through a county, and measles is a good example because it is so infectious, and they believed actually originally that 62%, if 62% of the people in a county or a state got the measles, they wouldn't see it return to that area. And, and really, I think it came from some of the islands that they saw get hit. If 62% had the measles, they would not see measles recur in that area for many generations, like decades and decades. Uh, and they recognized that herd immunity meant that there was this protection that because enough people built this wall of immunity, those that weren't uh, immune would be protected. That's the concept of herd immunity, and it comes from natural immunity. And the reason that's important is getting the measles or any natural disease is the only way you get lifelong immunity. The only way you get perfect immunity is you have to have the disease. A vaccine cannot provide perfect immunity. It gives you an inferior immunity that oftentimes lasts anywhere between two years to five years. In fact, Stanley Plotkin, who's the reigning godfather of vaccines, made more vaccines than anyone alive, just admitted that in the last flu season, he and his wife got a flu shot and then three months later got another flu shot because he knows that it wanes and that by three months the vaccine is totally useless already. So there's a vaccine that doesn't even last three months. Mm. So when you look at vaccines and they're wearing off in three to five years, ten years uh, on the on the outside, if you're lucky, then how do you achieve herd immunity if everybody keeps wearing off? Uh, they've stolen the idea of herd immunity from a natural process that was working very well and thought they could achieve it with a vaccine. Now, here's the real issue. Uh, when it comes to herd immunity. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I was speaking down in Mississippi to the health uh, department and the, um, uh, the health committees in the Congress and Senate down there. And there's a room of about 150 people. And they were discussing maybe bringing back a religious exemption to vaccines. And this idea of herd immunity came up. And I had the health department there. I said, okay, let me show you the CDC adult schedule. On the CDC adult schedule, it shows that there's two more MMR vaccines. That's the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine for measles. 
Um, that means that the CDC believes that the two or three MMR vaccines we got as kids and through college no longer last. So they're telling us by needing two more that the immunity is waning and that we need to revaccinate in order to hold on to herd immunity. So let me ask this question, and I did this to the room of 150 people. Of everyone in this room that's over the age of 40, will you please, please raise your hand if you've had your MMR vaccine in the last 10 years? You know how many people raised their hand? One. Hmm. One little old lady in the room raised her hand, and I'm talking to the health department of Mississippi. Hmm. These, none of the adults had had their adult vaccinations. So when we, and, and, and so there's people on my side though, that are on the anti-vaccine side. I say, Dell, stop saying that. You're, 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 you're going to make them think that they should vaccinate adults. I said, they're already going to vaccinate adults. Here's my point. Where is the return of polio? Where is the return of smallpox? Where is this big deadly disease outbreak that kills people that we're being told we should be afraid of if we don't achieve herd immunity or if the herd immunity falls apart. I'm telling you and everyone listening to this radio show right now in your cars, in your trucks, you're saying to yourself, you know what? He's right. I can't remember the last time I had an MMR vaccine. And that means that we're not at, and by the way, herd immunity for measles is 95% vaccine uptake. Now, this is where everyone's confused. We keep seeing these laws going after kindergartners and children in school that the children have to be at 95% vaccine uptake, but that's not what herd immunity is. 95% is for all of society, for all of the state, for all of the city. And if every adult listening to this program right now is not gotten their vaccine, then they're not immune. So we're not anywhere near 95%. Right. We're probably much closer to 60% or 50% vaccine uptake. Yeah. And we're doing just fine. But here's the point. We've never had herd immunity from the day we started the vaccine program. In fact, the only thing the vaccine has eradicated is herd immunity itself. The vaccine destroyed herd immunity because it started us on a road of inferior immunity that wears off when our grandparents and everyone before us had immunity that lasted a right. lifetime. Uh, first up, we have Kathy from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Kathy, you're on Beyond Reality Radio with Dell Bigtree. Um, yes, um, hi. Hi. I would like to ask, um, recently, last month, I received a vaccine. It was the pneumonia vaccine. I'm 60, white female, and I was wondering what, what would be the implications I felt like I had a cold, like I still got a cold, like a lingering cold. Yeah. Um, I mean, what you have to recognize with the vaccine is you're sending your body into an inflammatory state, uh, which we all know we're all taking antioxidants now. We're trying to have less inflammation in the body, and instead we're getting more. Um, I was just at the CDC and they're actually backing off on the recommendation of uh, pneumonia vaccines for the elderly because they're not really seeing much of a benefit. So there's a question of whether or not uh, it's even necessary. But you, what you're talking about, we hear all the time, is that I was perfectly healthy, I got the vaccine, and then I got sick. And what we have to ask ourselves is, 
you know, is it actually making our immune system stronger or is it weakening our immune system? And there's many, many studies looking at different vaccines now that are showing that though the vaccine oftentimes does protect against the illness that it's supposed to, we're more prone to getting other illnesses. There's a flu shot study where they actually had a, a group that received a placebo and a flu shot in uh, Japan, and they found that both groups had the same amount of the flu. So the vaccine was useless in protecting from the flu, but those that had the vaccine had four times the rate, four times as much uh, respiratory, other respiratory infections. And those are the things that we want to see more studies on is, what are the side effects? Are we actually hurting our immune system even more by getting vaccines? Now, of course, vaccines also oftentimes have aluminum in them in very, very high levels. And aluminum is a known neurotoxin. It's also one of the great aluminum scientists in the world is Dr. Christopher Exley. And he dissected the brains of people with Alzheimer's and found the highest rates of aluminum ever recorded. And I was interviewing him. And I said, so are you saying that aluminum uh, can lead to, aut- um, to Alzheimer's? And he said, no, my official statement is no aluminum, no Alzheimer's. Hmm. Um, and what did, and they so, with, what did they put in with the vaccine? Was there aluminum in this? Yeah, there's aluminum pneumonia? in your vaccines. The aluminum is oftentimes the adjuvant, which is the thing that incites your immune system to start creating antibodies. Uh, they put aluminum in, in the vaccines in order to do that. And we're getting more and more. And, in fact, if you get flu shots, uh, nearly half of our flu shots still have mercury in them. We've been told mercury has been taken out of our vaccines, but it's actually in uh, nearly half of the flu shots, and nobody knows to ask, which one am I getting? So these are the things that our doctors aren't telling us. We're just, the doctors are just being told by the industry, everybody should get this vaccine, but we're not really, uh, our doctors are not being told the side effects, the dangers. And if you ask your doctor what's in this vaccine, they wouldn't even be able to list the ingredients for you. And I think that that's a problem. Kathy, Can we detox from the aluminum that was given? Yes, yes. You want to start looking into natural ways to, it's called chelating. Um, you know, for instance, I'll tell you right now that that doctor in uh, Dr. Christopher Exley drinks nothing but Fiji water. I know this sounds funny, but the Fiji water in the square bottles has the highest levels of silica in it. And his research has shown that silica actually binds to aluminum in its natural state in the mountains and in the earth. Uh, we didn't see aluminum. Aluminum's never been in in any human body or any animal because it was always wrapped in silica. It was only breaking the silica apart when we started using aluminum in the modern age that aluminum has now become toxic and in our bodies. But actually drinking silica, and one of the only ways you can get that, and, and I'm telling you, the main aluminum guy, the, they call him Mr. Aluminum, drinks nothing but Fiji water. So... I'm not making any money from Fiji. I'm just telling you uh, what I've witnessed with my own eyes, so that might be a good start. But you want to look into the concept of chelating uh, heavy metals from your body. Be careful because there's very extreme forms of chelation. I'm not recommending that where you inject chemicals into your body that bind to these metals. But there's safe, healthy ways. A great chelator is cilantro. 
eating cilantro and things like that can be very effective in helping, uh, you know, get the toxins out of your body. Kathy, thank you very much for the call. We appreciate you dropping by. Uh, We actually have another Kathy on the line. This Kathy is from Buffalo, New York, and you're on Beyond Reality Radio with our guest, Del Bigtree. Good evening. Um, Are you doing Bruce and Del? Good, good. I uh, have a quick comment and then a question for you. Um, I noticed recently I've always owned pets, so um, I noticed lately they're over-vaccinating pets. Have you noticed that, too? Or Yes, it's the same issue. And by the way, they make the same money off of your pets as they do vaccinating us. It's all part of the same process. And there's actually a huge movement of veterinarians that are speaking out against that. One of them, you can look up some of the videos by Dr. Rob. Uh, I think that gets you there. I forget his last name. But if you punch in Dr. Rob, veterinarian, he's spoken to our Congress and everything on this. He's upset that we give the same vaccination to a Chihuahua that we give to a Great Dane, that there's no distribution of weight. It's a similar problem we talk about with human beings. Why do we give a baby, a day-one-old infant that's a hepatitis B vaccine, if it's premature, only weighs three mm-hmm. pounds, we're still giving him the same vaccine. Many of the same issues with, um, with pet vaccines, and there's a lot of them. And it's, you know, it's harder to say my pet has a neurological disorder, but there's vets that will tell you that that is happening. Yeah, yeah. And um, my question for you tonight is, and I'm learning so much tonight, so I'm really enjoying the show. But um, my you. question is um, about illegal immigrants. I've, I've listened to a lot of radio, and recently I heard that, you know, they're coming in by the thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands every month and bringing in a lot of disease. And um, so now, like, we're getting all of the old diseases back. Um, do you think there's a correlation between these, you know, illegals coming in and um, just the rise of disease? No, I don't think there's a rise of disease. I think that that is hype. I don't think that, you know, this measles outbreak, when you look at right. it, we're talking about a 1,000, maybe a few thousand people out of 400 or 340 million people. Those are tiny numbers. Uh, They're being sensationalized by the news. And whether you're listening to a conservative, you know, network, they'll try to make you afraid of illegal immigrants. Or if you're listening to a liberal network, they'll try to make you afraid of anti-vaxxers. But the truth Mm -hmm. is, is did you hear about anyone dying in America from measles during this gigantic outbreak? Everyone's terrified. No one died. This is all hype. We all need to accept the fact that, you know, should we be looking at, I mean, as anything, we should have secure borders. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But, you know, diseases coming, diseases do come from other countries, and they have to Mm -hmm. come from somewhere. People don't spontaneously burst into the measles. They have to come in contact with it. So there is, you know, looking at does measles come from, like, the, the most recent outbreak, uh, at least in the on the East Coast, came from someone that was visiting Israel and came back with the measles. Mm-hmm. But for me, personally, um, I actually am not afraid of infectious diseases. In fact, there is there's really great studies that show that you want to get the measles. You want your children to have the measles. You want them to get the mumps. 
Um, Chicken Great pox. studies show yeah. that you are less likely to have uh, actually a 67% reduction in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in people that had measles as a child versus those that vaccinated and didn't have the wild measles. Heart disease is reduced by anywhere between 10 and 20%. That kills 650,000 people a year. You could you can you could save sixty five thousand people if they just got measles and mumps when they were kids. These are the types of things I look at. I actually think mm-hmm. we are um, being fed a a real. The pharmaceutical industry has just gotten itself into something where nature was doing it very well to begin with. That's my perspective, mm-hmm. and I have studies to back that up. But you know. Infectious disease has dangers, and so do vaccines. You have to weigh the outcomes and make mm-hmm. your own decisions. When yeah. you get a vaccine, vaccine for uh, infectious disease, is it worldwide? Is this is it the same formula? Because my brother just married a Thai girl, and last month she came here. But before she came, she had to have sixteen shots. Yeah, and I I couldn't believe it, and I'm wondering, yeah. like, is it if she gets treated for the measles, is it the same strain that we have here? Is it like a worldwide? For the most yeah. part, we get many of the same vaccines. They are all across the world because the, the manufacturers don't want to make different versions, so they tend to be the same versions. But there are countries that will, for instance, use a GlaxoSmithKline product, and we're using a Merck product. So there are some differences in the strains that way. Um, and, and, and look what you just said. You started the conversation saying all these immigrants are coming in and bringing disease. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what you just said is the story I hear all the time, which is immigrants come in and they get double and triple vaccinated oh. because no one seems to care about the vaccines mm-hmm. they got in their own country. Um, yeah. I think that's dangerous. I talk to lots of people that come, uh, that immigrate here that are so sick from those vaccinations. But there are differences. Mm -hmm. For instance, if you're coming from the third world, they're still using a diphtheria, a DPT vaccine, diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. We use uh, DTAP, diphtheria, tetanus, and acellular pertussis. That's a really big difference, Um, a much safer vaccine than the one being used in the third world. In fact, we are currently breaking a story that multiple scientists are now showing that the DTP vaccine is killing more children than it's saving, it's actually killing people. So that's one of the things that we're working on right now. So there's some differences, but for the most part, uh, these are multinational corporations, the pharmaceutical corporations, and they're mostly the same products being used around the world. Kathy, we thank you very much for the call. Appreciate it. Um, Dell, we have just a couple of minutes remaining. I did have one other topic yeah. that I had mentioned earlier that I wanted to get to. Um, it has to do with the testimony of a Dr. Andrew Zimmerman, which I guess is important to this overall story. Tell us about yeah. that. Well, we hear that vaccines do not cause autism. And autism is the big buzzword. It's scary. Uh, we've gone from 1 in 10,000 children with autism in the 1970s and 80s to now we're at 1 in 36. Um, those are really scary numbers. In, in my film, Vax, we have an MIT scientist, who graphs out the numbers and says if we keep, if autism keeps growing at its current rate, we'll be diagnosing one in two children with autism by 2032. So this is something we really need to look at. And all of mainstream media will tell you vaccines do not cause autism. And if you go to the CDC website, it says vaccines do not cause autism. Even when you didn't ask the question, you were just looking at vaccines. So 
This is the scientific statement, and I can tell you they're making that statement with barely any science to prove it. In fact, of the 16 vaccines parents point to that cause their child's autism, there have only been studies of one of them, the MMR vaccine, and that's at the heart of vaxxed. And the, the main study we point to appears to be a fraud if you're going to take the whistleblower's word for it and the, the documents he's provided. But Andrew Zimmerman brings a new uh, perspective to this. When we took liability, what, two minutes? This is a bit of a story, but we took liability away from the industry. Uh, they were getting so many lawsuits in the 1980s, they couldn't make money from vaccines. That's how bad vaccines were. So they blackmailed our government and said, we're going to stop making all vaccines unless you protect us from liability. And so reticently, our government did that and took all liability away. So it's the only product in this country. You can't sue the manufacturer if it kills you or hurts you. There's nothing like it. So there's no incentive for them to make this product any safer. They don't have to. And, of course, it turned into a gold rush for the pharmaceutical industry. They had a product they didn't have to do safety studies on and couldn't be sued, couldn't lose any money, and that's why I think it's their most popular product now. Now, in the middle of that, now imagine when we took liability away, the liability went on to our own government agencies. In fact, you don't go to a court now if you're injured by a vaccine. You go to a what we call vaccine court. doesn't have a judge. It doesn't have a jury. It has a special master, and you're essentially suing the Secretary of Health and Human Services. You're suing the government. And then the government fights you to prove you're wrong using Department of Justice lawyers. This is, you know, it, the whole thing's turned on its head. Department of Justice lawyers in almost every other circumstance defend the citizen and fight the corporations to protect the citizen. In this one case, they fight the citizens to protect the corporation. Really, really uh, big conflict of interest. But here's the point. We ended up having 5,000 uh, cases of autism by the early 2000s lined up in this vaccine court. Each one of these cases was costing between 3 to $5 million to settle. So our government maybe, I think, didn't know how bad a problem the vaccines were and found themselves facing potentially billions, moving towards trillions in settlements from vaccines. And so they decided to, instead of try all 5,000 of these cases, Let's just do five cases. Let's pick out five, and however we rule on those five, we will rule for the entire 5,000. And they, the government, remember, they're fighting the people that are saying we watched our child regress into autism. They're fighting the citizens, and they bring in Dr. Andrew Zimmerman, the world's leading authority on pediatric neurology and autism, and he works for the government. And so in the first case, a case a girl named Michelle Cedillo, uh, her parents saw her regress in autism. Well, he investigates it and says from the government's point of view and as the number one specialist in the world, there's no mechanism by which a vaccine causes autism. That was his official statement. It happens to be the official statement we hear repeated all the time. Then came a second case. After that one was settled, they lose. Comes Hannah Poling. Hannah Poling was a problem because John Poling, her father, was a neurologist himself. He wasn't, you know, he knew what he was doing. And he also worked in the same hospital, ironically, as Andrew Zimmerman. And so Andrew Zimmerman watched a colleague's child regress into autism with his own eyes. And they built a team around it and investigated. And Andrew Zimmerman discovered how a vaccine causes autism. And he went to the Department of Justice lawyers in the middle of this case 
and said, actually, in this case, I have discovered the mechanism by which a vaccine causes autism, and it's if the child had an underlying mitochondrial disorder, which Anna Poling did. So there you have the proof, or at least the top scientist. Well, our government didn't jump up and down and say, oh, great, we finally found the cause of autism. Instead, they fired Andrew Zimmerman on mm. the spot, said you're no longer needed for the rest of these proceedings. Right. They fire the world's leading neurologist. And then they go on with the remaining cases to say Andrew Zimmerman could not be here, but he's the world's leading authority and neurologist right. uh, for children. And he has said that there's no mechanism by which a vaccine causes autism. They didn't use his new discovery, and the 5,000 cases were thrown out. And now every case in this country and around the world is thrown out based on a lie and Andrew Zimmerman's put forward an affidavit against the Department of Justice saying, you lied about my testimony. And he knows. Dell, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time, but uh, yep. you, you certainly answered the question. And we do appreciate sure. uh, uh, your liveliness over the last two hours, your passion on the subject. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. You take care. I uh, hope you've enjoyed the program as I've filled in the last two nights. Back with us tomorrow is J.V. Johnson and his guest will be T.C. Randall independent health researcher and author of the book Forbidden Healing. Make sure to follow us, Facebook, at Beyond Reality Radio, and check out my page, at Ghostly Gallery. Thanks for being with us tonight on Beyond Reality Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.